Hi everyone, I'm Marie, the Director of Product Development and Marketing at Floor and Half. I'm Brittany, the Director of Client Success. We are your hosts for the Property Management Show. Thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is a very, very special person. Um, her name is Christina Rowan, and you may or may not know her, but she is the owner of Lighthouse Cove Property Management in Washington State and a very, very active person at NARPM. Yeah, Christina's done everything from clean houses to buy the property management company she used to work at and then acquire other property management companies from there. So our goal for the listeners today is to share her experience and the lessons she learned along the way. So if you want to learn what not to do when buying property management companies, stay tuned. So before we get into the gist of it, I was just wondering, could you give us a little bit of a backstory about how you came to own Lighthouse Cove Property Management? Um, By accident, really. Um, So, and I say this in all my classes that I teach, I'm supposed to be teaching your kids how to speak Spanish. That's what I went to school for. Did Uh, you really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So my degree is in Hispanic education. Basically, um, my goal was to, I went to school in Canada. I'm, I was born in Canada. I moved to Greece. I lived in Greece till I was eight, came back to Canada, went to school. And my goal was to come to the States and to teach either teach kids Spanish or teach Spanish speaking kids English. Um, and so I was doing some research into different places in the United States where I wanted to move to, to, to do this. In my search, I met a husband um, and got married to a American sailor who was stationed in Georgia. So I ended up moving to Georgia and then I was going to go start my teaching. I was all excited right. for my degree. They told me wasn't quite good enough for the United States because you know, it's Canada. So what do we know up there? And so they wanted me to go back to school, but I would be going back to school as a graduate student and as an international student. And so already, you know, just graduate classes are expensive, but international tuition is three times as much because I don't have a green card yet. So I ended up um, saying, I'll just wait till I get my green card and then I'll go back to school then. So three years later, I get my green card. Well, by this time, we've moved to Washington. And I have a six month old. And so I'm not going to go back to school because I have a baby and I'm not going to go to school and leave my baby behind. So I was like, well, I guess teaching just isn't supposed to be for me. So I stayed home with my daughter, which was amazing. Um, I got to do that for a couple years and then decided that I really wanted to do something for some extra money. And we were living on base at the time. And I had friends that were cleaning houses on military bases, making really good money. So I was like, oh, I can do this. My mom has OCD. I I learned how to clean a house by the time I was seven. So I was like, this is easy money. And so I did. I started cleaning houses on base. And then about a year later, there was a property management company out in town who had gotten my name from somebody. And I ended up cleaning all their rentals. Um, And it was really cool because I got to take Angelica with me. Oh, yeah. So she never had to go to daycare or or have anybody watch her at night. Yeah, what a deal. And she was going into first grade 
it was 2006 and I was getting divorced from her dad and the lady who owned the property management company had asked me if I wanted to come and actually work in the office for her. I'd been cleaning for her for about four or five years now. And so she wanted wow. to, if I wanted to come in and, and do that. And I said, yeah, sure. I needed a more kind of a routine because Angelica was starting school. And so, yeah. you know, I was going to work while she was in school. And so I started, um, like as a, receptionist, assistant property manager, I guess, 2006, September, 2006. And I got my real estate license in March of 2007. And then I bought her company in 2007, like in July. So, did, so how did that happen? How did you like, she wanted to sell it. Um, and she said she wanted to sell it to me and you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't yeah. know that she actually ever really wanted to sell it, but, um, I, I had a kid and I was getting divorced and I yeah. had to do something, you know what I mean? I needed to be able to provide a life for her. Right. And so I was like, well, I'm doing this now, you know, um, I'm, that it's not super difficult. Like so I know how to do this I know now. How to do this, yeah. But I really didn't. Like, <laughs> I know I you always think you know how to do something yeah. until yeah. you do it. Yeah, I really, I really didn't, but I was, it was what I was doing. And so yeah. it seemed, you know, pretty, pretty logical that I did that. Um, I talked to my dad who is amazing and instilled a great work ethic in me. And I was going to get an SBA loan and I had done all the paperwork and I was talking to him about it. And he was like, well, if you're going to borrow money, he's like, why don't you just borrow it for me? So yeah, my dad gave me, lent me the money right. to buy Lighthouse Cove. And so that purchase was finalized July 17th, 2007. And I had had my license for two months. At that wow. Time. Yeah. So now it's 12 years later. Now it's 12 years later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the time, like I really didn't know what I was doing at all. Not, not to say I'm like really sure of what I'm doing right now either. <laughs> but, but back then I really didn't know, but I knew that I had to do something. And I knew that I had a little kid that, needed food and like a life. You went for it. And I, yeah, kind of. And, yeah. And I just like, I worked as hard as I possibly could to figure out what I was doing. Um, and made lots and lots and lots of mistakes along the way. Um, I was really lucky that I had good people um, surrounding me, you know, from the start that were helpful. And then I found NARPM like in 2008, which was a godsend. Right. Um, because then I was able to reach out to all these different resources. Um, so yeah, I started out when I bought Lighthouse Cove, it had about 190 properties, 190 doors, all single family, some small multiplexes, but nothing crazy. And then two years later, and it was not like, let me explain, like it wasn't, I'm making it sound like it was all really an easy transition. It wasn't. It wasn't the lady that I bought it from made my life an eternal hell um, for a long time. <laughs> so we want to know more about that. Well, I like I think I said that she didn't. I don't. She didn't really want to sell. I think she wanted to dangle the carrot. Yeah. That she wanted to sell it, but I don't think that she ever actually thought I would walk into her office with a check and be like, "Here you go." 
when can we close? And she, she couldn't say no to that at that time. It was a cash offer. Right. How do you say no to, you know, to that? Um, but I really don't think she expected, she didn't know anything about me. All she knew was I was this bleach covered girl that came to the office to turn in invoices. You know what I mean? And now I'm, and I was a single mom, but she and now you have a huge check that you're handing to her being yeah. like, let's do this. Exactly. Wow. So, so she didn't, she didn't help me very much. Um, when we started, um, there was really no advice on how to run a business or how to run this business. And so I was just doing what I, what I knew I needed to do without really knowing it. Um, but there was a lot of pushback from her and two years and two days after she sold it to me, which was exactly two days after her non-compete expired, she opened up another property management company in my old office in the same town. So I'm curious though, the person who sold you Lighthouse Cove, um, mm-hmm. was this person still involved in any of the operations during the time there was a non-compete in place? No. No, Yet. she was originally yeah. supposed to move. She was supposed to move out of town to a different state to be, she wanted to retire and be closer to her kids. Um, that ended up not happening. She ended up starting to work for a company doing real estate sales, um, kept in touch with all of my owners for two years because she was doing sales and then opened up her own company with my client list. So did she, she took them all? Well, she didn't take them all. She didn't take them all, but she definitely um, was making sure that she kept in touch with all of them and that they all knew where she was. It was an easy decision to make Mm -hmm. when they weren't happy or whatever. And there's denials about all of this, but when in an average six month period, let's say you lose as a property management company, you lose, let's say 10. Okay. Just for ease of numbers, you use 10, 10 properties. Um, five of them are going to sell. The owners want to sell. Okay. Two of them, Owners want to self-manage, okay? All right. One or two people are moving back in, and then you're going to lose maybe one or two to another company because it's just not a good fit. That's normally how that breakdown will happen if you ask any, any property manager. But when you lose 10 and eight of them go to another company, and starts to you know you start to think about the reasons why. Just to clarify, when when you bought the company originally, mm-hmm. was the previous owner there for like 30 days afterwards? Was there any transition or? So she was supposed to stay on as my managing broker until I got my managing broker's license. So in Washington, you have to have two years with your broker's license. Okay. Or you can take your managing broker exam. So unless I could find another managing broker or I took my exam, she was going to stay on. But I will tell you, we signed paperwork on July 17th. The last time I saw her in person was in August. And the last time I had a conversation with her was in September. Wow. That was so when it. you say you had to kind of figure it out, you really had I to. No, I really out. had to figure it out. I really had to figure it out. And then I, I was able to find another managing broker December timeframe um, and finally was able to like really completely cut all ties that I, I had with her. 
Now, obviously in this situation, not obviously, but maybe, maybe in this situation, it was better that way. So you could just get your bearings and move on in an ideal scenario. How long would the previous owner stay on and help the new owner through? In an ideal situation, I'll tell you what I will do if and when the time comes that I sell, I sell Lighthouse Cove. I will have it in my contract that whoever buys it will have access to me for at least, at least 90 days, minimum 90 days. You know what I mean? Yeah. That um, sounds reasonable too. Yeah. If not, if not 120, you know what I mean? I don't think three months to six months, but this needs to start. That involvement needs to start before those papers are signed. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, a, there's a way to transition any kind of, of company transfer properly, whether it's property management or anything, there's a way to do that. And signing paperwork and then booking it the next day is not it. You know what I mean? You need to come in to that business and you need to learn that business ahead of time and you need to start building relationships with the clients along with the person who's there already because that's who they trust. And if they, tr if, if they trust that person and you and that person is telling them to trust you, then they're going to trust you. You know what I mean? But if it's just literally a cut and dry, and that's what I see a lot of, and I know there's reasons for it that are created by people smarter than me, but it just, it's, there's such a division and it's such an abrupt division when a company is sold. People are loyal. I mean, especially when you work with somebody for a really long time, the mm -hmm. longer you work with them, the more loyal you become. Mm -hmm. And if somebody new comes in, you don't know how they're going to run the company. They might seem very nice in the beginning, but who knows what's going to happen six months down the line. Yeah. So I completely get where you're coming from. So, so that's ideally what would have been nice to have happened. Am I happy that, you know, it happened the way that it did? I think it definitely made me like face challenges early that I'm glad that I did because I learned from them. Um, and it just kind of gave me the realization that, you know, my dad was right. I can't do anything I put my mind to. Yeah, so, um, I wanted to ask a question. So, um, to piggyback on the idea that, you know, the owner clients have been working with a, you know, a said number of people for how many years, and then one day this new person comes in, um, you know, aside from the original owner of the company, um, how big was the team when you acquired it? There was, real, there was only three of us. So there was the owner, there was an accounting manager, um, I guess four. Then there was me. And then there was another person who kind of did everything. And I kept the both of them. I kept the two staff members on. In fact, one of them is still with me. Oh, the wow. accounting manager is still with me. Um, but yeah, I kept, um, I kept the staff. I kept the staff. I kept the office for a very short period of time. She owned the office and that went south very quickly too. So I had to very quickly educate myself on commercial real estate and commercial leases and find myself a new spot. But I did. Um, and so we weren't a huge team. Um, we were just a little team. And one of the big pluses was that with a lot of the clients, I had cleaned their house when they moved out. And so they knew me just in a different capacity. 
Right. I see. And so when you acquired the property management company, did you keep the cleaning company or did you sell it off? Um, I kept it for probably the first nine months. I was doing both. Uh-huh. So I was property managing during the week and then cleaning houses on the weekends because um, I was also in the middle of getting a divorce and stuff and, you know, finances and all that. Yep. Um, so I did both. And then it got to the point where like, I kept getting sick. Like I, I got pneumonia one time and it never quite went away for probably about a year and a half. Like mm-hmm. it would get, cause I couldn't stay home. I couldn't take the time that I needed to stay home and, and recover fully. So I would get a better, I'd get well enough that I thought, Oh, I'll just go into the office. And so I would do that. And then I would just be back, you know? So yeah. Um, it was about a year and a half of, of sick after I bought it. But um, yeah, I kept cleaning till probably the following summer. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's like pretty common. A lot of people in the industry um, overextend themselves and don't really take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you are leading a company to growth, to success, it's important to take care of yourself, right? Because right. if you're always feeling not 100%, then how can you expect to give like a top-notch service or to even think about strategy, right? right. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. How long was it before you started to kind of recover from the properties that you lost? Were you growing while you were losing? Yeah, and the thing is, by the time that all of that happened, I had bought another property management company. Okay, okay. <laughs> so in 2009, I bought another, I bought a book of business from our local real estate office. And so that gave me, um, about 120, 125 properties plus a hundred unit multifamily. Um, so we went from about, and I had grown in the two years I had grown Lighthouse Cove, probably, I probably added about 50 properties to it. So not a ton, but we're also a small community. And that um, was just organically, just people. Just organically. Yeah. And so we went from like, 200, let's say 230, 240 properties to over 500 with one purchase. Um, So we moved to a bigger office and hired some more staff. Um, And that purchase was better um, than the first one there. It still had its, its bumps, but but this, it was, it was a lot better um, in terms of the way that the, the, transfer happened and the way that the company had been set up and just different things. Um, my mistake that I made with that one was I didn't look at any of the properties. Oh, so I got a lot of garbage with that one, but it, it was what it was. So by the time she was, she was, you know, doing that and she had taken some of my owners away, I had, I was already so way past the, you know, the amount that I had started with it. The loss was, it stung, but it wasn't detrimental to my business. Right. Yeah. And so um, you obviously learned a lot of things from the first acquisition that helped mm-hmm. you get a better deal for the second acquisition. However, you mentioned something interesting. You said that one big mistake you made was you did not check out any of the properties. Mm-hmm. And so um, what would you say, like, how would you do that? Like, you can't drive, you know, to every, every single, single property. Or can you? Or, or can what, you? What, what do you do? Well, with the last company that I bought, I did that. I mean, I didn't go to all of them, but I went to a good third of them. Just drove by the outside um, just to see, you know, what, 
what they look like, if there's any, you know, deferred maintenance, you know, if you're driving by houses and the recurring theme is, ooh, this one needs a new roof, ooh, this one needs to be painted, ooh, this one, the yard looks like crap, you know, then it's more than just you have a bad tenant or one bad owner. It's that maybe you're picking up owners that are not really willing to do work on their properties. And, you know, you're getting a bunch of C-class properties. Mm -hmm along with C-class owners. Because one of the things that I always say is, I will pick up C-class properties all day long if they have A-class owners. Yeah. So how would you um, distinguish, you know, A owners that have C properties? Yeah, how do you know you're buying? Yeah. Well, an A, an A property owner with a C-class property makes sure that his C-class property is still safe, habitable, clean, all of the things that it needs to be. Not all properties are going to be the Taj Mahal. They're not all going to be fancy palaces. They're not all going to be, you know, water view properties in Malibu, you know, but everybody needs a place to live. And that's, so that's fine. It's fine if the property is kind of dumpy because it's old or because, you know, it's dated, but it's still safe and it's still clean, and it's still up to code, and the owner realizes that they're gonna to have to put money in it over time. So let's get it to where it's safe and habitable and clean right now, and then let's work on doing everything that we need to do over the next you know, two to four to five years to make this property a valuable investment for this person's portfolio. But you can have people who have million dollar homes, and they don't wanna do anything. Yeah. You know, I've met with these owners, they have these million dollar beautiful homes and they're arguing over like putting in a new fridge and wanting to get a refurbished fridge for this house that's gonna rent for like $4,000. You can't do that. Like your $4,000 rental needs a, a, a fridge that's going to be a $4,000 rental house's fridge, not some crap you got at the thrift store that may or may not work in a week. So that, for me, that's the big difference. Like none of the properties, um, not none of the properties, there was a good amount of the properties that in the second book that I bought that the owners had perhaps been let to believe that we're just gonna keep collecting rent, not really doing anything. And you know, the quality of the rental and the quality of the tenants is gonna be kind of down here, but you know, we're just gonna kind of milk it along. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like to do business like that. No. You know, I think every property, whether it rents for $600 or $6,000 should be treated the same, should be just as clean, just as safe, you know, just as appealing and attractive to the people who can afford it. That makes total sense. So it's not about the number of doors you're acquiring. Um, it's about the quality. And so how does that play into the deal, the purchase agreement? If you know, you're doing your due diligence before you're, you're closing the sale of the company and you're investigating you know, the mix of owners, the mix of properties to drive by. And so if you find out that, hey, you know, there's a bit too much of the C properties with C owners, like is that a deal breaker? Like how do you then decide how to move forward? It's really going to depend on what you want to deal with and what you want to, what you want to put your staff through I mean, You know what I mean? Because they're the ones who are going to be doing onboarding of tenants who are unhappy a, because something is changing because many people don't like change to begin with um, B owners who are used to not spending any money. And now you're going to do an initial walkthrough and you're going to, 
hit them with a punch list of 20 items that they need to do. And they're going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The last person didn't tell me I needed to do anything. And now you're telling me I have to do all these things. Obviously, I need to manage the property myself. <laughs> um, so it depends on what, what you want to put into it to do. I will be really 100% honest. I have bought three companies in the last 12 years. I honestly think that I could have taken all the money that I paid for these three companies and been twice as big as I am now with just organic growth. Oh, so that's an interesting concept because there's always this debate between, oh, what's the best way to grow? Mm -hmm. Is it organic? Is it purchasing a company? But then there gets this um, confusing scenario where, but then how do you find properties to buy? Oh, sorry. How do you find property management companies to buy? How do you know which ones are good? So on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so do you regret growing via um, acquisition? Well, I will tell you that in 12 years, I have spent probably $600,000 on property management companies, on books of business, and on acquiring properties. You guys do marketing. How much marketing would $600,000 get me in three Girl. companies? You know what I mean? Like, and these are the things, especially with this last yeah. that I did in 2017 that I am currently in the middle of a lawsuit that is going to trial for. Wow. Um, that yeah. is what I think of every day. Was it worth it? Was it right. worth it? Because growing organically definitely takes a little bit more time, but you can be more choosy with the properties you take on and you can invest time back into hopefully encouraging the owners that you love to work with to buy more properties too. Mm -hmm. Well, so. the thing is it may take more time, but maybe not because yeah. if you do your, if you get into the market where you should be, if you're in with the investors, if you're going to the meetings where you're the only property manager in these like people who manage their own properties groups, um, and you're the only face that they see month in and exactly. month out. Exactly, yes. Like, you have to be smart about where you spend your marketing money and where right. you spend your dollars. I don't know that the growth is any less than if you buy a book of business. Like buying a book of business will give you more properties like right away. Like right. you'll have 20 in a day, you know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to 20 in maybe two months. But then again, you have tenants to onboard and you don't know what kind of tenants they are. You don't know if they would pass your kind of screening criteria or not. You don't know if the past, you know, um, property manager did a good job with onboarding those tenants. You don't know what that properties looked like when they moved in, unless they have really good condition reports. And if there's one thing that I have seen over the last 12 years, is the entire gamut of what constitutes a move-in condition report. Everything from literally a page that says, all is good, literally, three words, all is good. That's and good. I'm glad that all is good. Not signed by any Congratulations. Anybody. Okay, yeah, wow. just all is good. To, like, my move-in condition reports are ridiculous. Like, they're 100 pages long with 400 pictures. Right. You know, they're crazy. Nobody's taken me to court for anything. Yeah. Like, for like here, sure. here you go. This is yeah. what we have. Yeah. Here's your, here's your booklet on your yeah. property. Um, but it's just, it's things like that. And then it's the owners. It's you have to build that relationship that maybe that owner had a different relationship with the person before you. And maybe that person was willing to do stuff for them. And maybe you're not. And now you're, now you're stuck having to 
be okay with maybe getting a less of a management fee or, or making a certain concession for this owner or this owner because they were the cousin, brother, uncle, son-in-law, roommate, or whatever of the past person. You know, so I don't know. I mean, there are people who tell you that, you know, acquisitions, 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 and that's awesome. If it works for them, I am glad that they have obviously a much better system to do it than I did um, because they're obviously smarter than I am at buying businesses. Um, but for me, I think that organic growth, if you do it right, can be way less stressful. Right. And also defining what organic growth is too, because like you said, there are so many different ways to market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you have websites, you have pay-per-click, but you, you do so much more than that. You are like a huge networker and that makes, like you were saying, just getting your face out there makes even more of an impact and it impacts everything else that you do too. Well, my whole thing is if you are educating people on something, you know what I mean? And I train my staff to do this and I train the people in my classes. You are the professional. Act like it. Act like it. If you are the professional in whatever it is you do, every place that you touch, they should know that. You should be the go-to person for everybody. I am the go-to person for everybody in my life that needs anything having to do with a rental property. Anything. You know why? Because I tell you, my 1,400 or whatever friends on Facebook all know exactly what I do. Right. You know and what I mean? It's not people, yeah. It's not people going to Google and typing in Silverdale property management. It's people going and typing in Christina, which mm -hmm. by the way, we Googled you yesterday and you, <laughs> I am the only one. I, I Googled your first name only mm -hmm. and only you showed up. Yep. I am the only Google one. Page, your yeah. My name is Brittany. There are a lot of us out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I am the only, I am the only one that you will find if you pop in my name in Google, which is fun. It's yeah. great for me. Right. Um, so they, they know who you are. They know where to find you. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Um, just touching on this subject a little bit more. We were, um, as you know, Danny moved back to Australia I where know. he is expanding our horizons there. And one of the things mm -hmm. that we keep talking about recently is, as he's talking to prospects and trying to determine if we can fit their needs, what he's finding is that a lot of property management companies in Australia prefer acquisition over mm -hmm. organic growth. They don't, they don't even think about it. I mean, I'm sure there are some that do, but just the ones that he's been, he's been talking to. So he's been learning a lot about that too. My question with that is if you're only growing by acquiring, how do you account for the properties that you lose when you acquire a business because you are bound to lose some with each of the purchases you've made mm -hmm. how how is there like a percentage where you say typically you lose this this percent to this percent and do you factor that into the cost of the deal do you factor that into what you're paying you should you should absolutely factor it in and i guess the magic number that i have heard and it seems to fit even with my experience is 10 percent you're gonna okay. lose 10 percent of clientele whenever you make a change that's not necessarily when you change property management companies that's when you make any kind of change like for example i just rolled out a new property management agreement at the beginning of this year i am expecting to lose 10 percent of my clients because we have a change in terms there's some fee changes it's just a change some people just don't like change or some people wait for a change to be 
brought to their attention before they make a decision that they've been wanting to make for a long time anyways or whatever. So it's always a good rule of thumb to keep that in mind. 10% is what you're bound to lose whenever you make a change. Yeah. Um, and one more question on that topic. A second ago, you also mentioned the price. Like if you changed the price, how often, well, in the companies that you've purchased, do you typically have to bring the management price up? And do you do that um, when you first take it over? Well, so in the first one, I didn't do anything because I just bought a pre-existing company. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the second one, the second one, the fees were about the same. So I didn't really do anything um, different because the fees were about the same. This last one, the fees were lower um, and I kept them the same for about a year, year and a half until I rolled out a new property management agreement. And then I raised their fees accordingly, um, you know, based on, on what they were paying. I raised them not quite to what my existing clients in this county were paying, but closer to where it was because they were a little bit lower. Um, and again, also it depends on what your, what the industry is. is yeah. who, you know what I mean? Like if you're the only person in your industry that wants to charge X amount, you know, and everybody else is charging Y amount, then you have to figure out, okay, what am I offering that is way better or way more that can justify that X amount. Yeah. Because unfortunately we are still a price point industry. People still shop around for the cheapest yep. property manager, you know, and they expect us to do 40 other jobs other than, yep. you know, manage their property for the same amount. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that that's one of the reasons too, why a lot of the people we work with will do lease only, but they don't want to do lease only because even people that do that, think they're going to get your full service property management after the tenant is placed because mm -hmm. people, people don't like to read. They just know that they contacted somebody and something well, happened. And one of the things that I learned, and this is one of the reasons I love NARPM and I love NARPM events because literally five minutes in the bar, having a drink with another property manager, like gave me a light bulb idea of, Oh, my, it, my, my lease beforehand for placements was exactly the same as the lease that everybody else gets, which means my name is all over it. Lighthouse Cove um, is everywhere in that man. lease. And I was like, wait, but I'm not managing this house. Nope. The owner is managing this. But the tenants might think you're managing the it. tenants may absolutely yes. think I'm managing oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I came home and changed it all. You know, not only did I change that, I literally made a like a fillable PDF that the owners have to fill out for the lease now. No, no. Well, what do you think I should charge for a renewal fee? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not managing the property. You are. So you can figure you can that out. You manage the property if you yeah, want absolutely. To, oh, well, but... should I do this? Oh, I don't know. It really, I'm not managing the property. You are. Yeah. You know, that's really going to be depending on what you want to do. You know, um, well, do I have to be available after hours for maintenance? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of do. Like if your water heater blows up at 11 o'clock at night, you're not going to want that water to just sit in the property till the next day. Yeah. Well, what would you do? Well, if I managed your property, I could totally take care of that. Yeah. But there was a lot that we changed because I was like, wait a minute, this is wow. We'd never had an issue just so you like, so you know, like it wasn't like we had That's a major good. issue and then changed it. It was just a light bulb brought by, it was Brian Felt by the way from San Antonio. So I can give him credit. Shout out, um, to, shout out to Brian. Shout out to Brian. Um, 
it was him that he said it and I was like, you, and he'll, he'll, he'll back me up. I was literally in the bar. It was him and I and Todd Orshard. And I was like, I'm going to message my person the back of the office right now to do this right away. And I did. I started my phone. I was like, we're changing this effective immediately. On your big phone. You're always on your big phone, big phone. sending back information. <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you were talking about how whenever you make a change, you lose about 10% of your clients just because of whatever reason. But mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking, given that you care a lot about the kinds of owners and kinds of properties you're bringing into your business, um, how often do you fire owners because of whatever reason, their property, their attitude? Um, when you buy a company, is, did you, do you notice like a certain percent that you typically get rid of because it's typically not a good fit? And how do you like tell them without pissing them off? <laughs> well, um, it usually will take Rattling a while. Pages. It'll take a while for that to happen. Like, I don't think I've ever bought a, a company or, or acquired any contracts. And like within like the first couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, you got to go. You know, right. it usually takes between six months to a year um, before you kind of really feel somebody out. Some people will show their, their ass pretty quickly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but other people kind of, it'll be like the first time uh, maintenance, something with maintenance happens at the house. Okay. And then they really are like, Oh, but my cousin can put in that water heater for $30 on Sunday and you know, something like that. Um, or, um, the first time maybe you have to place a tenant for somebody like let's say they had an existing tenant the tenant moved out and then you know they're like oh well can I pick my tenant I right. only want tenants that are like this or like that and you know they want to be all micromanaging over that process so it takes a while so I don't know that I would have a really good like amount that I have fired um, how easy is it to fire we probably don't fire owners enough um, and to be honest, probably in the last, oh, six months, we haven't fired a lot of owners, but that's because we also are paying out security deposits every month out of my pocket. Because when I bought the last property management company, she took about $60,000 of security deposits with her. When she what? What? Yeah. So we've been holding on to owners in the last six months because financially we have to right now. Is that the lawsuit you were talking about? Yep. So the previous owner just ran away. So she didn't run away per se. So 2017 um, negotiated this purchase, did what I thought was my due diligence. The numbers that she showed me ahead of time, everything looked up, you know, looked good. The books looked fine. I didn't do as deep of a dive in the books, to be honest with you, as I should have. I trusted her. She was an ARPA member. She was a colleague. Um, she had been actually my secretary on um, a committee for a, a regional conference. Like I knew this person. Um, there was nothing in my mind that said that she would be this type of a person. I spent a lot of time with her before we finalized this contract. I went and looked at the properties. Like I went to the office. We spent a lot of time together. Um, and it wasn't until probably a month after the sale had been completed that uh, my, my accounting manager was like, these books aren't like what the check that she gave us that's security deposit trust account and what's in that folio. These aren't matching up. 
And I was like, oh, like a couple hundred bucks. She's like, no, no. Like, and at first we thought it was like, like about $110,000. We were able to find some money that had been miscoded. You know what I mean? You know, if you put a wrong GL code in something, it disappears like from where it's supposed to be and ends up somewhere else. So we, we found some of the money and then I had to hire forensic accountants. I had to, I hired APM help to find how much money was really missing. We had to literally go through every lease and figure out what does the lease say the deposit was because she also had last month's rent in there and some of them had uh, non-refundable pet fees plus a pet deposit. So we had to literally go through every single lease, paper lease, and have a spreadsheet, old school spreadsheet to figure out, okay, what money did these tenants pay in at the beginning? Where did it go? Some of it was miscoded, like some of last month's rent was miscoded as deposits. That's where some of the money was. Some non-refundable pet fees were counted as pet deposits. So, you know, there was, it was, it was a very tedious uh, year that it took us. It was probably less than a year. We filed, I filed the lawsuit last summer. So it was probably eight or nine months of a lot of money paid out on my part to try to figure out where the money was and how much money was actually missing. But once that security trust account hit zero dollars, there's still people moving out every month. There's still properties that are getting sold, you know what I mean, to tenants, or there's still owners that are, you know, selling their, their multiplexes to other people. I have to come up with that money. In December, we had to come up with $8,000 because one of the owners sold his fourplex. So I had to come up with $8,000 that I had not allocated for yeah. giving out of my own money, you know, this month, last month, it's been, it's, it averages, some months are better than others because nobody's moving out, but like the summer months are going to be rough because that's when everybody moves. So yeah, it's good times. Yeah. I mean that I never really thought that happened in real life, you know, yeah, me um, it's ridiculous. So I think the lesson here is, you know, if you were to buy another property management company or to whoever out there is thinking of buying a property management company, yeah, you check the books and they look good and you know the person, you kind of have this gut feel, but I think you have to treat every acquisition the same. You have to kind of like when you do your inspections in the property, right? This person may look like they know what they're doing. They're very organized, clean people, but you still have to go through the hundreds of pages, 400 pictures to really make sure you dot all your I's, you cross all your T's. It's the same, especially when you're buying a company, mm -hmm. right? You might end up like this, having to shell out money on your own mm -hmm. to fix something that shouldn't be broken. No. Well, I put together, and one of the things like, I really had to have a, a come to Jesus with myself, be like, okay, there's got to be something good that comes from this. Do you know what I mean? Something has to, has to come from this or else it's just not, it's just not good. So I put together a class that I actually, I taught it in San Diego at the national conference. And it's literally called how to poorly purchase a property management company. And it talks about all three companies and all the things that I did wrong, you know, and there, and there are, there are much smarter people in NARPM who buy and sell property management companies like their cups of coffee and it's really easy for them and they never have a problem. And it's awesome. And I love watching their successes and it's cool and it's great. Unfortunately, I am not one of them. 
you keep talking about how, oh, there are a lot of smarter people than me buying companies. And, you know, I just talk about my mistakes. I think it's really, um, you know, it takes a lot of courage to talk about the things you did wrong. Mm -hmm. I bet all those people who are experts in buying property management companies failed a lot before they even came up with how they're doing it now, but they don't want to talk about it. And, you know, and maybe that is like, that's, it's kind of funny you say that. That's how I started talking at NARPM at all. Like when you're standing in front of a hundred people, basically telling them all the ways in which you suck and you screwed up, it is such a humbling experience. But then afterwards, for months, I would get phone calls and messages and emails about how we were about to buy a company when we heard you speak. And because you said this, we looked into it and we didn't buy it because it would have been a bad idea or what you said could happen. It was actually going to happen. And so the fact that, yeah, it's been a complete like year and a half of yuck for me, but I'm able to help other people. I mean, that's cool. It doesn't make the yuck any less. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it does give me the, the hope that, you know, maybe I can help somebody else from doing it. One of the things a lot of people have, have said they wouldn't even have even thought of, and I didn't think of is to check out the person with the Department of Licensing. I wouldn't have thought to check the Department of Licensing. She had an open investigation against her for fraud from the Department of Licensing. You checked that before or after the purchase? No, no. I didn't check it before because I would have known. No, I found out when the Department of Licensing sent me a letter. I mean, in this situation, well, for, the, for example, the security deposits, what, what could you have done? What would you have looked at? Because you said um, you looked at that folio, mm-hmm. you looked at another report, they didn't add up, but that well, was after the fact? It was after the fact. I trusted that the reports that she gave me yeah. were, were real, were right. Because she wouldn't, and this is the thing, your gut is always right. She wouldn't give me access to her app folio yeah. until the sale was closed. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. And so, and I, I'll be honest with you, it was the middle of the summer. We were super hella busy too. And so it didn't have the amount of focus that I should have given it. And I trusted her. And so, um, you know, shame on me. Absolutely. Um, but, but you want to do that. It's human nature. You course. want, you of want course. to be able to trust people. You do. But now what I would do is I would, I would have APM help who are amazing, by the way, if you guys know them, they're a great company. Um, I would have them audit the books before I bought anything. Before I even thought about buying anything, I would be like, okay, you have to give me authorization to have APM help look look into your books and do like as deep of a dive as they need to do in order to find out and make sure that all the money adds up. I want your bank statements. I want access. Like you can give somebody just read only access to your bank statements. Um, I want that and I want APM help to have access to your, your accounts and everything has to match up to the penny. Is that kind of step one that you do before you? Well, that will be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I know. So will you, will you buy? And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know. Adam's in the back going, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you can just spend that money on marketing. Or spend spend it on me. I mean, it's whatever. Whatever. Spend it on anybody. It would be on, you know, my other daughters. Right. Yeah. No, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I would. Like, it's always there. Because I'll tell you, it's kind of, it's exciting. Like, it's exciting. Like, bringing on 100, 200 properties, like, boom. And going from, you know, 200 properties to, like, 500 properties. Like, there's a lot of adrenaline that's involved in all of that. 
It's also a lot of work. That's a lot of tenants to onboard. Well, That's yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's so, I mean, obviously we, we are marketers. We have been on the account management team at our marketing company. And if I was onboarding a hundred new clients at one time, for, forget about it, let alone pro- properties and mm-hmm. all of the paperwork that comes a lot along with it, all of the relationships. So it's like, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Because your contracts, most of the time, like let's say even if you have four different tiers of service, that's only four contracts that you're dealing with. When you have 200 properties, that's 200 different, completely different properties that you're having to bring on and do descriptions for, and do we have pictures? And then what if that person used a different property management software than you use? Then you have to do integration, and that's a horrific pain. Everyone is unique. There's no, there's no copy and paste. There's no duplicating work. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, it really isn't. So would I ever buy one again? I might. Um, I would, <laughs> try, nobody's going to want to sell their company to me in the future. Though, cause I'll be like, okay, here's my 49 point inspection list. Of Can't get anything need. past Christina. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it might, they're like, I never say never, but it's just not on my radar right now. Just like Justin Bieber. Never mind. Not on her radar. Yeah. yeah, he's also not on my radar. <laughs> but what is on your radar is what's that music festival you're going to? Oh yeah, oh, you're going to. You're going to, okay. you're going to SoCal. Going to see some music. I am. I'm going to. We call it the. Um, it's the basically a bucket list concert for my friend and I. Um, so we grew up listening to like 80s and 90s R&B music like that was our our thing and so this concert we're going to is Isley Brothers, um, Guy, Jodeci, Belbiv DeVoe, Keith Sweat, John B, Genuine, and I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. So yeah, it's called the Mother's Day Love Jam. (laughs) Such a bad name. I love it. Yeah, so I'll be in in California for Mother's Day. And everybody's like, but it's Mother's Day. I was like, right. It's the one day a year where I get to choose whatever I want to do because I'm a mom. I want to spend it away from my kids. I think that's fair. Yes. (laughs) Very fair. Granted, my kids are, I mean, 19 and 13. Like, Sasha is 13. And so um, she'll be spending the day with her mom. Um, And my kid is like, you do whatever you want. So it's all good. Bless her soul. Yeah. I think the last thing is like, what would be like the three biggest tips you could give to somebody that's looking to buy a company? What are, and you kind of covered them already based on the biggest mistakes, but just to summarize, what would be those three main things to look at? Number one, trust your gut. Your gut is hardly ever wrong. And there was red flags and my gut was screaming at me, but I was too busy and too excited about getting into this other market because that was the whole reason I bought it. I wanted a footprint in a different county. And so because I was like so all about that, I didn't listen to my gut. And it ended up, you know, really, really biting me in the end. Um that would be number one. Number two, absolutely hire somebody if if accounting is not like what you are absolutely the best at, spend the money and hire somebody else to look at the books. Like really, really look at the books. It's gonna cost you a little bit of money, but it'll be worth every single penny, I guarantee. Um, And then the third is make sure that how they do business is how you're willing to do business. Because- Culture fit kind of thing, operations fit. Operations, everything. Like she was all paper. 
literally boxes and boxes and boxes of paper that I spent the first four months sifting through every night and every weekend trying to figure out what was necessary to keep and what I could throw away. Like I had like 50,000 bonfires basically getting rid of the eternity mountains of paperwork that she had. Because even though we had the same property management software, we didn't use it the same way. Right. You know what I mean? So that's right there. Culture. Absolutely. Um, Go with that person when they do a property management interview and see how are they selling their company? You know what I mean? Like what are their, what are their, their base tenets? What are their ethics? Like, why are they doing what they're doing? And if that aligns, it doesn't have to be perfectly aligned with you, but if it aligns a little bit, then you, then you're able to work off of that. But if not, if literally they're out there bullying people to use them or bargain basementing their fees, why, why would you want to do that to yourself? Yeah. Because that's the culture that they've created. And now that's the culture that you're going to have to perpetuate or you're going to have more losses than you would, you know, you would have originally even accounted for because these people are, are were trained because we have to train our clients. They're trained to believe and want and know a certain thing. And now you're going to have to retrain them to do something completely different and believe in something completely different. So that's a lot of time and energy on, on, on somebody's part. So make sure that, that those things align. Well, thank you, Christina. That was, this was very helpful. Um, especially for us too, we get so many clients asking us about acquisitions that we're always doing research and trying to make sure that we give the best advice. And I'll definitely be sure to send people your way if they ask me questions. For real. No, absolutely. Before anybody buys anything, please shoot me an email, send me a message on Facebook, call (laughs) me, whatever. I will be more than happy to answer your questions and to tell you all the things that I screwed up in the hopes that you don't do the same. Wow. You're the best. That is the nicest thing ever. Do you have, um, it's, it might be on the NARPM website, but are there any slides or anything from your talk last be. year? Yeah, there so should we'll, be slides. We'll try to find those and, and link that in our, in our description cool. and so we can put it there. Yeah, if, if, you can't, if you can't find them, let me know and I'll send them to you. Because I think that's invaluable. I think definitely listening to this is really helpful, but that probably just deep dives a little bit more into some things to look at. I created my own PowerPoint for it, which I was very proud of because it was the first one that I did all by myself (laughs) because I'm so low tech when it comes to that, but it it was pretty good. Yeah, that was it for me. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed and please let us know if there are any other topics you want us to do. We would love to answer any questions you have and bring in people that will help you learn how to manage your business better, how to market your business better, just anything you need, let us know. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you, Christina.